You may stay standing, actually. If you'd stand and take your Bibles, turn to the book of Exodus, chapter 14. We're going to read the text this morning that we're going to get started in. If you're joining us, we're in the book of Exodus. We're going to be, we just finished chapter 13 last week. We're going to take on chapter 14 this morning. And it is good to see you this morning. Beautiful weather God's given us. And uh, what a great day to be, as James just said, be in the house of the Lord and and, uh, and enjoy the blessings of God. Obviously, if you cannot stand, please don't struggle for that. That's fine if you're already seated, no problem. But uh, we're going to stand and honor God's word. I want you to look at uh, the book of Exodus chapter 14. If you don't have a Bible, by the way, you can grab one from the seat rack in front of you and be turned to page 103. And uh, if you're a guest and you didn't get a guest bag and you want one of those, an usher will bring one of those to you here if you just raise your hand in the air and they will get you uh, that as well. So Exodus chapter 14, let's look at verse 13. Exodus chapter 14 and verse 13, then we'll pray and take a seat. The Bible says, And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show to you today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for the victory that we have in Jesus Christ, the salvation that we have. And Lord, even though the world, the flesh, and the devil are ever present with us, there's coming a day we will see them no more. And Lord, we look forward to that day. And in the meantime, Lord, I pray, God, we would just seize hold of the lessons that you have for us this morning in Exodus chapter 14. Thank you for bringing these here today to, to hear the word of God. I pray, God, that you would feed us this morning, Lord, that you would give us what you want us to have so that you can be honored, that you can be glorified in all of our lives. Lord, I pray, God, today that there is a soul here that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior. If they're not certain today, if they died where they'd spend eternity. Heavenly Father, we pray, God, that you would give them that certainty before the day is done, uh, even before maybe the next hour is done. And so, Father, we thank you and we praise you for this time in your word. We pray a blessing to the reading and the hearing of it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So this morning we're going to be looking at a passage that most, if not all of you, are very familiar with because obviously it's one of the greatest movies of all time. Cecil B. DeMille uh, made a movie about it. We talked about that several months ago. But it's also, outside of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and the, the flood of Noah, this is one of the greatest miracles in the Bible, the crossing of the Red Sea. And it's a tremendous miracle uh, that was hard even for the children of Israel to believe after they had experienced uh, even all the victories through those ten plagues that we looked at previously. So God has saved them from death, but Pharaoh and his armies are still coming for him. And, uh, oh, yes. And, hey, by the way, if you do not have a handout, just stick your hand in the air if you want one. Uh, Brian, the ushers will be coming by. Yeah, we had, need one up here. Um, yeah, so the, the ushers are coming by. Not all the bulletins had those in, earlier this morning. So if you want one of those, stick your hand in the air. And wave it like you don't care, and it'll come. Cause that's the way it rolls. I don't have anything else to say about that. So anyway, so so we're in we're in a, we're in a, we're we're looking at this incredible miracle, and uh, and so Pharaoh is is hard after Israel as we talked about last week. God is is roping that dope, and so so goes the story though of all of us who are saved. We could tell the same story if you're born again. You get saved, and it doesn't take long to realize, once you know Jesus is Lord and Savior, that the devil's after you. You're really not a threat to the devil till you get saved. Before, you know, the Bible talks about when we're lost in Ephesians 2. We just walk according to the course of this world, according to the, uh, according to the, all the things that we've always done. And, and, you know, as long as you're, you're working with the devil's program, you're not a threat. You might run into some problems, but, uh, you're no threat to the devil, really, until you accept Christ. That's when that's when he's going to take notice. Even in the beginning, right in Genesis, the sons of God are the ones that uh, that uh, the devil attacked, and so he wants to attack you. Obviously, we just had a men's conference this weekend, and we we're trying to man up, right? Get the men in a situation where they stand in the gap, take care of their business, make sure they protect um, their own hearts, protect their families, protect the church. I mean, that's. It's important if you haven't realized that, that the devil's heart after us, the sons of God, even though we're saved, right? So uh, that is how it works. The devil is hard and fast after us, but uh, that's because we're a threat, and that's, a, that's an encouraging thing. So if you get saved and you turn your back on Egypt and think Egypt won't come calling you, well, you don't really understand the tenacity of your flesh either because it isn't just Pharaoh that's uh, coming after them. It's also the children of Israel once they get down by 
the Red Sea, they're kind of like, well, maybe we should have just went back. We never should have left. Maybe we should have just stayed back in the world, right? We should have stayed back in Egypt and, and, and died in bondage. That would have been better than dying next to the seashore with all of our families. And so we'll look at that here in just a minute. But we saw last week in Exodus 13 and verse 18 that God led Israel through the way of the wilderness of the Red, uh, of the wilderness to the Red Sea. And this route was, was really, um, a wrong turn in Pharaoh's estimation. It was the, it was not going to Palestine. It wasn't going up to the promised land in Canaan. It, they took a right instead of a left, and next thing you know, Pharaoh's like, well, what are they doing? Right? His scouts come back and tell him, well, these guys are going the wrong direction. He's like, aha. I'm sure he's thinking, my gods, small g, had delivered them into my hand. And he, of course, he himself believes to be a god. So he takes it upon himself after giving them, allowing them to leave as God had commanded. He finally now uh, repents of repentance, <laughs> right? And uh, decides that he is going to disobey God. And come after God's people. Um, and so, even though this didn't look right uh, to Pharaoh, or even the children of Israel, as they, at the, at the, as they arrive at the encampment along the Red Sea at, at Pi uh, Hiroth, between Migdal and the sea, there's a lot of people who try to pin all these locations down and, and try to precisely find them. And I have discovered, uh, I had a lot of notes and study all about that, and I threw it all out because I realized, you know what, no one actually knows exactly where all these spots are. And so, well, God knows, but I can't find anybody with certainty. So I'm just going to tell you it happened because God said it did. And they did cross the Red Sea on the east side of the Sinai, rather at the lower tip or the middle. Uh, I kind of leaned up toward the middle, um, and, uh, and, and they crossed over. And it wasn't a small little crossing. It wasn't the Sea of Reeds. It was an, it was the Gulf of Aqaba or however you say that, and it was a big it was a big crossing. And God did a miraculous work there, and they were certainly trapped uh, along the the shore, the Red Sea, on the east side of the Sinai Peninsula, and they were obviously scared, and they went to run, uh, or I'm sorry, they wanted to run, and the reason why is because they didn't think the Lord could actually deliver them, and they sound a lot like Christians today afraid that god cannot take care of our political failures our social failures they can't they can't take care of the failures at the border or the terrorists who um, you know desire to collapse our country and other countries like israel what have you but the bible tells us to fear not right and i would encourage you in the two verses we read fear not be still and see the salvation of the lord and so this is one of those messages, I'm not going to come up with a cool outline, I'm just going to use what's in the Bible. I mean, it's right there. So my first point of study this morning, as you think about this passage and this familiar story, is just simply uh, very applicable to where we live today. Fear not. Fear not. Fear ye not, is specifically what he says in verse 13. And Moses said unto the people, as we read earlier, fear ye not. Fear ye not. Do not fear following God's directions. In verses 2 and 3, we see that if you go back and look there, the Bible says, Speak unto the children of Israel, God speaking to Moses, that they turn and encamp before uh, uh, Piah Hiroth, between Migdal and the sea, over against Baal Zephon, before you encamp by the sea. So you can see clearly God is the one giving the directions. He's the one that's giving them bad directions if, if in the estimation of Pharaoh. For Pharaoh will say unto the children of Israel, they are entangled in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. So God gave him these directions because, you know, he's, he's uh, long before Muhammad Ali, Muhammad Ali, you know, roped in George Foreman. Uh, God was, that's just an old tactic God used with the devil, right? He, he just says, okay, I know, I know how the Pharaoh rolls and uh, he can't control himself. Uh, he loves himself too much. So I'm going to go ahead and have them turn right instead of left. Uh, and also it benefits the children of Israel because they still had some battles to fight. They had to really, when you look at this from a God's eye view, really where is God taking them? Before they go to the promised land, there's something more important even than that. they got to go to Sinai. They can't handle what's in the promised land until they get the word of God from Sinai, right? You can't handle your inheritance that God has for you in heaven and even on earth until you get hold of the word of God, right? And so God has taken them to Sinai which is in Arabia. We know that. Paul makes that clear. 
And so, and so God not only takes a right turn because it's, he's leading Pharaoh down there, he also has business for the children of Israel once they cross over the Red Sea. So I do want to, you know, make sure I'm clear on that because I don't want to misrepresent what God's doing. He's not just trapping Pharaoh, though he is. He's also taking the children of Israel to Sinai, right? This special location, uh, to receive the law, uh, and so that they can administrate the kingdom that he's called them to inherit in the promised land. They gotta have that. So we can trust God's direction practically, even when uh, the directions don't seem like they're taking us the right direction. Anybody ever like that? Man, I've been there. I remember before I came to Harrisonville, I was all turned around. I was trained up. I was all ready to go. Uh, I was like, uh, I was like convinced. God, and I was convinced because God opened a door for me. He opened a door for me in Pennsylvania to, to go and candidate at a church, and the church was calling me, and I mean, it was just like, yeah, go. Pastors at the at the church at first were on board with it. Anyway, some trouble happened. Some things came up even before I got there, and it ended up being a good decision not to go for a lot of reasons I won't get into. But um, then I was just like, where am I going? I literally felt like children of Israel. I'm just like wandering in the wilderness. Like I'm trained up. I don't have any debt other than my house payment. I'm ready to go. I'm sat in Jeff Adams' office, said, Jeff, where do you want me to go? I'm ready. And, you know, he's like, well, God will just, you know, whatever. Something will come up. Anyway, then there's a church plant um, uh, in Uniontown. Or not a church plant, but we were working with discipleship with a church in Uniontown where Amy's family was uh, living at the time. And I'm like, sure, that must be where God wants us, right? But my ways aren't God's ways. And uh, before I know it, Harold Hatman, who was working with me at City Union Mission, uh, he's like got this little Bible study in his house, and he's like, "Man, Brian, we just we really ought to pray about a church plant in Harrisonville." I'm like, "Well, we've already tried that a couple times, or at least once. Major, it's kind of bomb, flamed out on KCBT, so I'm not sure I want to jump into the middle of that." And uh, but God, you know what He did? He led me somewhere I wasn't even planning on going. That was Cass County, right? But you you just got to follow God. You don't always know where His directions are or where He's taking you. One minute you're going over here, the next minute you're coming back here. And in God's providence, you know, he's always leading you the right direction. And he's also working things out in you. Will you follow him? Will you go where he tells you to go? Go ye therefore, he says, right? Well, go ye therefore is wherever he tells you to go. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. He wants you to go. We got people getting ready to go to Monmouth. We got people getting ready to go to Oaxaca. We got people that, that have gone to the Dominican this year. And we're going to have more mission trips coming up in 2024. God wants you to go. You got to pray about that. What do I need to do? Some of you need to go and commit to being disciples, right? You need to commit to learning the word of God at a basic level. Get those commitments from Sinai. Get the word of God down so that you can start to inherit your promised land. You can start fighting those battles that get you across the Jordan and start getting you into your inheritance. So there's a lot that that, that goes on in the Christian life. And you've got to trust God's direction. And right off the bat, it seems like, man, God's leading these folks the wrong way but they're not. Don't fear. We can, we can even see that Jesus wrestled with this as a human, at, at his human level. When he prayed in Luke twenty two forty one. now he knew, obviously, that he was willing to do whatever God called him to do because he is God. But uh, as a human, he says, and, and he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast. This is uh, as he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he prayed, saying, Father, if, if thou be willing to remove this cup from me, <clears throat> Uh, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And, and being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Think about Jesus himself, God of the universe. When he came to this earth to save us, as a human, he had to go places he would have preferred not to go. Now, obviously, he understands God's will, but as a human, he's like, man, you know, <laughs> we can do a lot of things. Is there any other out here? And, of course, there was not. And isn't it interesting that, that, that ministering angels came to comfort him so that he could continue on the race, right? So he could, he could die on the cross as our lamb, the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And, of course, we spent several weeks talking about that. Well, that's what set us free. That's what's made us free. That lamb, if you're, if you're saved, is it's on the door the doorpost of our heart. It's given us entrance into the eternal life, and now we're on our journey. And uh, and so we see that that following God 
uh, in this world can place us in some very difficult situations. And even more so as you see the Lord coming. So if God leads you to it, this is what I would encourage you to understand. He'll get you through it, even if it doesn't seem like there's a way out. Anybody feel trapped? Man, I tell you, on a practical level, I can't tell you how many husbands and wives I've sat with. And that's really how they feel. And they're in a Christian marriage, perhaps. Some of them are not, some are. But Christians, they'll sit down and they'll feel like, man, I am trapped. I don't know how much longer I can endure because their circumstances seem so bad. You know, that's a place that just seems incredibly difficult. Like God has led you there. And how did I get here? And Well, you know what? God has allowed that or you've allowed it in your life. And God can get you through it. If he's called you to it, he'll get you through it. And, uh, and I tell you what, God is, he, if, if you're married, he wants you to be married. And, and if you're having struggles, he wants you to get through them. And so uh, there is a way, and he is the way, the truth and the life. So, so uh, use where you're at and trust God to get you across the Red Sea. So don't fear following God's leadership, because that's usually where the breakdown is. We take, we take things into our own hands. That's what the Jews did. They're like, man, we want, we want, to, we want to go back to Egypt. This isn't working out, right? Don't fear following God's leadership. Fear causes the children of Israel to have a crisis when it comes to following their leader, Moses. They're wisely not going to shake their fist at God. That's a bad idea. So what do they do? Well, they get mad at Moses. And the Pharaoh drew nigh, it says in verse 10, And the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and, and they were sore afraid. And the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord, and they said unto Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in this wilderness? I mean, have you drawn us out here to die, you know, by the army out here? I mean, we could have just gotten slaughtered at home. Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us? Moses, you rascal. To carry us forth out of Egypt. Never mind the ten plagues, right? And all of that. And look what they say in verse 12. Is it not the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? I don't know. If you go back and look, I don't think I saw them say that anywhere. If they did, it's not recorded. But all of a sudden, they are like, hey, Moses, we told you this wasn't a good idea. For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. And by the way, when you serve the Egyptians, what else are you serving? Well, you're serving their gods. It had been better for us to serve another god than to serve this god, because look where this god has taken us. I mean, it's our circumstances are not where they need to be. Our bank account isn't big enough. Our marriage isn't what we wanted it to be. Our kids aren't doing what we thought. We thought if we did Sunday school every day, they'd all be perfect. This isn't what we wanted. Well, maybe it boils down to leadership. Are you trusting the leadership? Is there proper leadership? So there's no actual record that they asked Moses to leave them alone, but that they could serve the Egyptians. But out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Whether they said it before or not, that's what was written on their heart at that moment of fear. They were saying, man, we would just as soon serve Pharaoh and his gods than serve this leader and his gods. Because things are very uncomfortable right now. And beloved, this is a good time to talk about being uncomfortable. Because you know, uh, there is no guarantee going forward in this country or any other country on the planet that it will be comfortable for Christians increasingly as we go forward. Now maybe it will. We've seen this process recycle a few times. But we've never seen it happen like this. America is not what she used to be. And so Christians need to really get a hold of that. It could get uncomfortable. And you could look out and go, is this where God's led us? And you need to understand, yes, he has. And you, we need to respond, not by questioning God's leadership, but by submitting to it. And so point C, don't fear dying in the wilderness. Don't fear dying in the wilderness. God, he hasn't, sa- he hasn't saved you from the world to destroy you in the wilderness. Right? He hasn't taken you up out of this world and, and sanctified you and set you apart and made you part of his bride just so you could die in the wilderness like a dog. He has a plan for you. You even, even if you die, he has a plan for you. He has a plan for your life. He has a plan for your death. And the truth is, death doesn't touch us. 
It has no sting. So what are we worried about? But we shouldn't really be worried about that. Again, this is a fundamental shift in the Laodicean mindset. And I think it's a good time for for us to really get our head around that. And I know a lot of you already are, so I'm preaching in the choir. But there may be some of you that really, you've got to let that sink in a little bit. There are things that are more important than life in this world. And it is obeying the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't fear dying in the wilderness. God has a plan for you. But the reality is, those who ended up dying in the wilderness journey didn't die because of the Egyptians. Think about that. They didn't die because they were pressed up against the Red Sea. Why did they die in the wilderness? Because of disobedience. They died because when God opened the door and said, go in the promised land, they said, no, we won't. And they came up with more excuses and said, well, our kids will die. We can't take our kids in there with those giants. We can't face opposition. We're too weak. That is often what Christians feel and think. Because we are like lambs led to the slaughter. But yet, we are kings and priests. And there's that dynamic. And and we have to understand who God has saved us to be. And realize that he has pulled us out of this world for his purposes. He wants to use us for his honor and glory. And that's what God has put us here to accomplish his mission and his power for his glory. In Numbers 16.32, there's another set of people not just the ones in Numbers 13, but an entire group of people, they followed bad leadership. Anybody know who that was? Number 16, it was a guy named Korah. And he's like, oh, Moses and Aaron, you take on too much. You know what? We get the word of God too. Everybody follow us. Next thing you know, there's a church split. And God opens up the earth and he just swallows them all up. Moses is like, okay, you guys, we'll just see tomorrow. We'll see who's who, and word's all going to lie. And man, next thing you know, God just opens the earth and swallows them up. Those that were following the sons of Korah. It's a bad deal. It was a, it was a problem of, of really, God didn't want them to die in the wilderness. They ended up dying in the wilderness anyway because of disobedience and unwillingness to follow God. And really what we see here at Sinai is a great opportunity and a great lesson, not only for them to learn, but for us to learn. If, we are, or if, we cut, if we're cut short in our wilderness journey, it's because we refuse to believe and obey God. And that is a very literal application, not just a, a devotional one. But in the, we got the Lord's Supper coming up in a couple of weeks. And, uh, you know, in 1 Corinthians 11, part of the admonition that Paul had to a very carnal church... A church that was just doing whatever they, you know, did whatever they wanted to do when the whistle blew. It was such a such a carnal church that Paul was like, man, I don't even have to be there to judge this sin. I can see it from over here. Uh, no one should be having a, a, a sexual relationship with their father's wife. Even the lost people in Corinth don't do that. Get him out because you love him. Get him out and give him over the devil so that he can learn quickly. This is not the way a believer is to act. And then restore him if he does repent. And of course, we know he did repent. And so, and God was, and Paul was just as quick to see him restored and, and come back into the fold. But they were exercising church discipline. Now, that incident sets up what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, or 1 Corinthians, yeah, 1 Corinthians 11. And when Paul says this, he's very careful to point out that because of disobedience, there were already people that were sick and dropping dead in the church body. Because they were disobeying the Lord. He said in verse 28 of chapter 11, he says, But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat that bread and drink that cup. We've been talking about the Lord's Supper and how that is a a fulfillment. Now we look back on Jesus, our Passover. Okay, so that's what he's talking about, what we call now the Lord's Supper. Verse 29, For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. I used to think about that and think, not discerning the Lord's body. I didn't really get what that meant for many years. It really is when I became a pastor, when I really, it really sunk in on me. What he means there is that when you live like hell, but yet you're a Christian, and you don't give a flip and a rip about anybody else but you, and you'll, you'll cheat on your husband, you'll cheat on your wife, you'll, you'll, you'll do whatever it takes to destroy your family and your kids and the church family without any regard because you love you more than anybody else. That hurts everybody else. 
You think, oh, no, it's just my decisions. Don't tell me what I have to, I can do and not do. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. I'm my own man. I'm my own woman. i got to be free to do what I want to do. So let me put myself in bondage to sin and shame. And when that happens, you know what happens? It affects everybody in the body. They don't discern. They don't have the wisdom to understand that, that when you just live the way you want to live without any regard for God or the people at church, or, and I, in between that is your own family. It hurts everybody. That's why, that's why, you know, people start talking. People start grieving. People start fighting. It hurts everybody. Because it gets emotional. It gets painful. If you hit your pinky toe, or your pinky, yeah, your pinky toe with a hammer, your whole body lights up. You stub your toe, it's like, ah, you know, your whole body light. It's like right up your spinal cord. Everybody feels it. He goes on to say, for, for this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and, and many sleep. At Corinth, some were already gone. I remember I was circuiting in a church many years ago. Uh, in my, I was in my 20s, and um, late 20s, and I was in this little church, and <laughs> these people started dropping dead. So I just, just innocent as can be. Uh, I'm down there one weekend, and I'm at the breakfast table with the, one of the key families, and the, 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 this man is kind of the leader, the, one of the leaders of the congregation, and and I just ask, I'm just like, when's the last time you observed the Lord's Supper? You know, just curious. And they said, we don't do that here. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. I, I, and actually, it, it convicted me so much. I went back to the leadership of our church. I said, uh, I've been told that this church, they don't observe the Lord's Supper. And they don't want to. Like, that's not a conviction. I don't think we should be going there anymore if they're not going to observe the Lord's Supper properly and they're not going to take the teaching because we're just contributing to their delinquency. And then someone says, well, Brian, I I think it's okay because we need to practice preaching. And you know what I say? We need to practice pastoring. So I asked to remove my name. I said, I don't want to go back to that church anymore because I'm not going to be a part of that. But anyway, neither here nor there. That stuff's serious. It's serious. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. Now, there's not a one of us that doesn't deserve to sleep, right, or to get sick. Okay, so let's just put it all out there. That's why when we come to the Lord's table, we're so thankful for God's grace and his forgiveness and his mercy. And we're so quick to reconcile with others because he's reconciled with us. We're so quick to give grace to others because he's given grace to us. I mean, how can you hold sin over someone else's head when you've been forgiven of all yours? I mean, that is just beautiful. That's why the Lord's Supper is so beautiful. It should be a huge love feast. And, man, we should all get right with God and love him and love one another. It should be beautiful. But sometimes it's not. And so if we don't judge ourselves, the Bible says we get chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the Lord. The Lord will allow difficulties just so we get right. Now, in the case of Israel at Sinai, this really wasn't the case. He was just going to teach them a lesson while he dealt with Pharaoh at the same time and get them where they needed to go. So point D, do not do not fear Pharaoh's wicked intentions. In verse 5 through 9, uh, we can see that he had some wicked intentions. If you go down there, it says, And it was told the king of Egypt that the people fled, and the heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people, and they... Um, they said, "Why have we uh, done this that we have let Israel, uh, that we have let Israel go from serving us?" And he made ready his chariot and took his people with him, and the, and he took six hundred chosen chariots and all the chariots of Egypt and the captains, every one of them. So he takes his best. Right? We just took looked at the first fruits in the previous chapter. Well, he's taking the best he's got militarily. Verse eight. And the Lord uh, hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he pursued after the children of Israel, and the children of Israel went out with a high hand. Man, I love that. They came out with a high hand. But the Egyptians pursued after them all the the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them, encamping by the sea beside uh, Piharoth before Baal-Zephon. So don't fear Pharaoh's wicked intentions. When we get saved, it doesn't take long for the world, the flesh, and the devil to come calling. You're not a threat to the devil until after you get saved, as I've already mentioned. But understand this. The Bible tells us in 1 John 4, 4, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you 
than he that is in the world. Man, I tell you, if, if, whether that's a memory verse or not, you ought to commit that to memory. That verse has been such a comfort to me in the course of my Christian life. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world, including your flesh. God is greater than your own flesh. It's much more important that we fear God who holds eternal life in his hands than the world, the flesh, or the devil. You know, in Luke chapter 12, the Bible says in verse 4, And I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body, and after that have no, uh, no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you whom ye shall fear. Fear him that after he hath killed and hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto, unto you, fear him. Are, you not, are, are not five sparrows sold for a farthing, and not one of them is forgotten before God? But unto the very, but unto thee, uh, very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, ye are more valuable than many sparrows. You know, God says we should fear him, but also understand his love and care. I heard a preacher one time say, you know what? He knows how many hairs are on your head. And you know what? That's more than your wife knows, right? Your wife doesn't take that long. I mean, some of you wouldn't take very long, but I'm just saying, most of us. You know, God has taken time to count the hairs of our head. There's not a lot of people take the time to do that. He loves us. If he's accounting for the sparrow, right? You remember that old song? He's accounting for you. He loves you. But don't be, don't misunderstand this thing. You should also fear and understand he has the power to cast into hell. Don't mistake his meekness for weakness. The Lord loves you. He's never the hairs of your head. He has the power to cast into hell and deliver the child of God. Don't fear the devil. There's nothing he can do but touch the body. But fear God and keep his commandments like Job said. Right? Yea, though he slay me, yet will I serve him. And that's really the lesson that God was trying to get into the minds of the children of Israel. You're not going to be a successful Christian if you won't risk anything. You've got to risk. You've got to, you've got to trust God. And it may not be with your life, but it may be. Uh, you, I mean, really, why not trust him with your life? If you're trusting God for eternal life, why can't we trust him with our physical life? I mean, it just makes sense. Point two. So getting out of Egypt requires that we have no fear, right? Fear ye not. But secondly, he says, stand still in verses uh, in verse 14. Stand still. And, and I don't and he's going to tell him to move out in just a minute. So I want to be careful with the standing still business because God's brought him here for a moment, right? To encamp, but he's not going to leave him there. And he and, and so Moses says, stand still. And he needs him point A to stand still long enough to hear the word of the Lord. Right, that's what we need to do is pause and make sure we listen to God's word. We are busy all week long. I mean, literally, like I'm literally running into this message after a long week, just running, 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 running right into this message, and then we just need to stop and be still and hear the word of the Lord. And then God's going to launch us out of here like a rocket, and we're going to go reach this community for Christ this week. I mean, by this time next week, I hope we have salvations booked in in heaven. Uh, names written in the, in the kingdom of God, and we have we've seen a mighty harvest party happen among all the other things in between this next week. But right now, let's just be still for just a moment, and let's hear from God's word. Stand still long enough to hear the word of the Lord. And you know why we need to do that? Because God's word is reliable. Moses is like, hey, stop! Just listen to what God says. I know you're in fear, but listen. To what God says. It's reliable. You can trust God's promises over what they see. Their eye sockets are saying one thing, but their ear sockets are saying another. Or hearing another. They got two eyes and two ears. Which one are they going to go with? Go with whatever God's showing you. Right? And so Moses is like, hey, the word of God's reliable. You need to understand in verse 14... The Lord shall fight for you, and, and ye shall hold your peace. Now, you can look at that two ways. The Lord's going to fight for you, and you can shut up. <laughs> right? Hold your peace. We're, that's a good application. But also, the Lord's going to fight for you, and you're going to hold your peace. Right? Because his yoke is easy, and his burden is light. and he's gonna be, You're going to be at peace. So just just let that sink in. Be still long enough to receive the promises of God. Point two, God's, God's word is assuring, obviously. You can rest in God's words over how you feel. He doesn't rebuke them, by the way, for being scared. 
at least not at this point. There's time, Numbers 13 is a different story because they're mature enough to know better. But right now they're tender. And when you're a young Christian, listen to me, God is super gracious. He doesn't, he doesn't beat them with a rod. He doesn't judge them. He just is like, hey, shh, just listen, be still for a moment and watch what I'm going to do. This is going to be great. Just, take, just rest in what I just said. I'm going to take care of you. And you don't see how this is going to happen, but you just hide and watch. It's coming. Man, I can remember when I was a baby Christian, young Christian, man, God did some stuff in my life, just unbelievable stuff. I still look back at it, and I don't, like, like, I don't know what happened there. He just took care of me. He took care of me. I won't get into all the stories, but I, I was thinking about that as I was putting this together. And there's times when God just gave me information, gave me insight, gave me things that I needed right when I needed it. Incredible, stressful situations. One of my first jobs at an engineering firm. I mean, I can just remember I get I got there. I didn't know how to operate DOS, disk operating system, back in the day, and, and God just gave me the wisdom overnight, literally, like literally downloaded it. And I was before the end of the day, I was like an expert. It was weird, and I was off and running. And I don't give myself any credit for that. That was God just helping me because I was crying out to God like, what? And there was no one there to help me. And I'm there, and I'm a teenager, and I'm like, what do I do? And God's like, oh, here you go, son. I'll take care of you. He just does that for you because he loves you, especially when you're young and tender. You get a little older, he's like, stay up all night and work. <laughs> you know how this, you already know how I work, so just, just get, get her done. But God's words, point three, are, they're preserved too. Now, he's already had a conversation with Moses, right? In verses 1 and 2, really 1 through 4. He's already talked to Moses about how this is going to go, why it's going to go. And now Moses is communicating to him what God, God has done is he's preserved that message through his servant Moses so they could receive it into their heart, through their ears. And this is such an important deal that he's going to eventually take Moses to Sinai and download the law and the prophet, and not the prophets, but the law so that they can have the operation manual for how to run this kingdom. And he's going to preserve his word. We know it's preserved because we have it in our hands. He's preserved it for us even today to look at so we can be edified and encouraged through what God has done. You have God's preserved word. You can trust what God says because what he says will come to pass and it's preserved for every generation. That's what Psalms 12 says. The message that God gave to Moses is the same message the children of Israel received. It's the message that we need to hear this morning. So point B, stand still long enough to allow God to draw the enemy into defeat. He was using them to rope the dope, right? He was using them to draw Pharaoh in. In verse 5, it says, And he told the king of Egypt that the people fled, and the heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people. And they said, Why have we done this? And, and why have we let Israel go from serving us? And, and, we have made, and, and so he made ready his chariots, and he took his people with him, and he took 600 chosen chariots, as we already talked about it. He goes and pursues after him. So God brings us right up to the edge before he opens the door. You know, perhaps in the Laodicean church, there's a reason people aren't going over here and opening the door when Jesus is knocking. It's because they're, they're too busy looking with their eyes and not enough listening with their ears. I mean, the word of God, this door needs to be opened. You're like, oh, I want God to open doors in my life. I want to be a missionary. I want to do this. I want to do that. Okay, open this door. Get in the book. Get in the word of God. Stand still long enough to allow God to allow the enemy to be defeated. We are on a need-to-know basis. They traveled as far as they could go without further instruction. And why is that? Because God is turning them into an army. He called them an army in chapter 12. Last thing he says, this is an army. Well, now he's actually treating them like one. You're on a need-to-know basis. I told you to go here and park it, and you're parked. Now, I need you to move. Move. That's how it goes in this chapter. And so what is he doing? He's treating them like soldiers because that's what he needs them to be, even though mentally they're not ready to be there yet. And so why is that? Because he has an enemy to destroy. And they were on a need-to-know basis. So God places us in situations where we simply have to trust him for miracles. He, he opens the sea, but, but not until they walk right up to it. Right? And I don't know about you, I like to plan, I like to look ahead, but sometimes God says, look, this is as much vision as you're getting. The rest of it's going to have to be by faith. 
stand still long enough to allow faith to overcome fear. You know, Moses led as far as he could go. He led the children of Israel as far as they could go. Listen to me carefully, in their flesh. They went as far as they could go in their flesh. I mean, they worked, they they traveled, they got everything, they worked, they did everything. Nothing wrong with that. God told them to do it, and they went there. This is as far as your flesh can take you. You cannot swim across the Red Sea. You aren't going to build a boat in time to get across the Red Sea. This is as far as you can go. There's a point where you've got to learn that you have to trust God. Not just Moses, not just Aaron, but I need everybody in the congregation to trust God. Like Moses and Aaron trusted God. Or at least Moses. I ain't going to speak about Aaron. But anyway, Moses led Israel as far as they could go in the flesh. God led them to this location along the seashore. And it's there where, where he, uh, they were squeezed. And when they got squeezed, what came out? Fear, not faith. You know why fear came out? Because they were not full of the, word, the promises of God's word. They weren't believing what God said. They'd already been given the promises, but at this point, when the, when the pressure was on and they really got squeezed, they reverted back to their flesh because they, 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 they learned a valuable lesson that when under pressure, what really comes out was not faith, but fear. Now, Paul told Timothy, right? God hasn't given us the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. But you know what? When people get pressed and, and they get scrunched on, man, all of a sudden you see what's really on the inside. Is it fear or is it faith? Is it fear or faith? It becomes apparent that the promises of freedom from Egypt and the inheritance in the promised land dissipate. And they believe that obeying God has brought them to death. Nevertheless, because God is doing a work that is far beyond what they ask or think, God delivers them anyway. Because it's never based in their righteousness. It's his grace and mercy. Oh, how precious, though, is it when you see those faithful witnesses. I took a moment and thought about in, 19, in 1,993 years since Jesus died on the cross and rose again, all the dear, dear loved, beloved brothers and sisters in Christ that have died, and they were squeezed. And what came out was faith. <clears throat> I was thinking about, well, there's 10 Roman persecutions. There's four, of course, there's the first century martyrs, which we get James. Peter, all 12 of the apostles except for uh, John were martyred, and then they tried, to, they tried to boil John. So, you know, those guys, and then you got the first century uh, martyrs, then you got 10 Roman persecutions for 300 years, and then you have the, 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 the Romanism that begins in 300, 400 A.D., and that begins a bloodletting all the way through the Dark Ages. And once there's a, a Reformation and there's a, there's a Counter-Reformation, and then you get the Inquisitions taking us up to the 1800s. And then if you still want a little taste of that, you can go down to Chiapas, Mexico, and walk on into a Catholic community, and you can get, you can get some rocks thrown at you there and maybe get shot. Or you can, go to, you can go over to India, and you can preach the gospel in a Hindu community, and you can get beaten to death. Or you can go to the Middle East, and you can become a Christian and, and deny that, that, that Allah is God and say that Jesus is the one true God, and you can be martyred. I mean, that's, that's how it's still. And there's all of these faithful folks throughout the, the last almost 2,000 years. And, man, when they got up against the Red Sea crossing and it didn't open, they were full of faith. And they gave their lives. But you know what I think happened? This is just me meditating on all this. I bet as soon as they look, you know, they think about Tyndale getting strangled to death, burned at the stake, and he's like, open the king of England's eyes. And he's full of faith as he goes into eternity, you know. And I just can imagine God just opening up. Instead of the Red Sea, he opens up the Crystal Sea. (laughs) He says, come on home. Because death has no sting. You are free at last. Man, I, I can just imagine how some of those martyrs stepped out of this life into the next. Oh, it wasn't easy. But I, I bet they're all saying it's worth it. And now, Hebrews 11, there's a great cloud of witnesses. And who are they watching? They're watching you. And they're watching me. And we get up against the, the edge of the Red Sea. Are we full of faith or are we full of fear? We shouldn't be full of fear because death has been overcome. Man, we should overcome that fear with faith. Getting out of Egypt requires that we have no fear. Fear ye not. 
and that we stand still long enough to allow God's purposes to be accomplished in our lives and the lives of the, of the enemies of God. And lastly, we need to make sure that we see the salvation of the Lord. We see the salvation of the Lord when we move forward by faith. Now, this is important. Exodus chapter 14 and verse 15, the Bible says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? This is just kind of a random thing. All of a sudden, you see Moses crying out to the Lord. There's like no context. Well, what's he crying about? We know what he's crying about. We, just, we know what he's crying about. His pe- the people of God don't want to move. They want to go back to Egypt. And we know because of what's said there, he's, he's going to God with it. And I, I love what the Lord says. The Lord said unto Moses, wherefore criest thou to me? Moses, why are you crying to me? Didn't I put you in charge? Speak unto the children of Israel. Do what I called you to do. Preach the word. Preachers. You guys want to preach? Preach the word, fathers. Do what I've called you to do and preach the word unto the children of Israel. Why? That they go forward. There is no turning back. Man, I talked to my beloved brother, Joe Sparks, and I was asking some questions. He opened up to me one time about what it was like to be on Okinawa. And I was visiting with him and I was asking, you know, some questions. And that's, that was precious. That was a precious time in my life. And for him to even share all that, because there's a lot of pain there. And I asked him what it was like in Okinawa. There was no retreat. I'll just leave it in that in those terms. It doesn't matter if you're injured. It doesn't matter if your buddy's head got blown off. It doesn't matter. There is no, oop, I got hurt. I just got my arm blown off. I need to go get a medic. There were no medics. The only direction is forward to your certain death. The worst battle ever fought in the Pacific and in modern warfare. And one of our members was there. Now he's already crossed the crystal sea. He's in the third heaven, but hallelujah. Man, I think about what that would have been like as a young man. He was lost at the time. If he had caught a bullet in the head or the body and the heart, he'd have been gone and in hell. God preserved him so that he could get saved. And I tell you, God's, God's good. But in a real battle like that, you, there's only one way to go. And God has taken these people, and I know they were servants, and I know they were slaves, but God's saying, listen, Moses, you're now their general. You know what it's like. You were a general once in Egypt. I need you to listen to me, son. Get this group going. Go forward like an army now. Get them going forward and tell them what I've told you, and, you and, and just tell them to go. Lift up thy rod and stretch out thine hand over the sea and divide it, and the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. I won't make it, it can't make it any easier than this. Just tell them to go. And I, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them, and I will get me honor upon Pharaoh and upon all his hosts, upon, the, upon his chariots, upon his horsemen, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten me honor upon Pharaoh and upon his chariots and upon his horsemen. Wow. Though we're not told what Moses was crying about, we know that the Lord, he was crying to the Lord about God's people. And God says, Moses, operate like a military man. To this point, the Lord had guided them to the sea with his presence. But now he's going to protect them miraculously with his presence in the pillar in the cloud. We left off last week in Numbers or in Exodus 13 with the presence of the pillar in the cloud leading the Egyptians as a good shepherd leads his flock. And God no longer needed Moses to pray for the children of Israel's <clears throat> obedience. He needed them to act in obedience by faith. Things had changed. Uh, Moses, we're not praying right now. <clears throat> I, I don't need you to pray. I need you to take the congregation and lead them out in the battle. Because we got somewhere to go. Beloved, we come to a place in our society where we need to quit praying about Obeying the Great Commission and simply obey the Great Commission. Oh, look at that long list of salvations that we need to pray for. Well, have we went and shared the gospel? The time is short. Let's quit. Just You need to pray, yes, because God needs to open doors of utterance and boldness to speak and all of that. So I'm not saying not to pray. But I'm saying there is a time where the praying ends and you've got to go ye, therefore, and open the mouth and share the word of God. When we go out today to the streets and we invite people to the harvest party, when God opens the door, don't keep your mouth shut. If someone opens up their heart and they're willing, you say, hey, we're just in our neighborhood and we're inviting people to come to the harvest party next week. And 
Oh, really? What church do you go to? Well, we go to Heartland Baptist Fellowship. Don't stop there. Do you have a church home? Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? I could show you in the Bible if you'd like to know. Here's a gospel track. You can call this number. We'll get back with you. I mean, take it as far as God will go, but don't just shut your mouth. You'd be surprised how easy it is. It really wasn't that hard. Once Moses took that rod and he held it out over the sea, it seemed impossible. And all of a sudden, he says, it's dry ground. It wasn't even muddy. And they just walked right in there, man. And I bet it was wide as could be. Because there's a lot of people. We're talking probably, with all the mixed multitude, probably getting up near three million people. At least two and a half. And they're going across in a fairly timely fashion. Man, beloved, we've we got to make sure we open up our mouth. God provides power through Moses' rod, by the way. You know, he sticks that rod out. And that, that rod, that's just a shepherd's staff. But when he uses it, God takes that shepherd's staff and, and he puts it out over that water. And it, it's like a miter, like he's a king almost. Man, God's going to use that Moses not only then, he'll use him in the future. And he's going to stand before mighty men. And do miracles with that rod. Moses' rod represents the Lord's authority as God has used it numerous times in the past to prove his power over the magicians, the weather, obviously the pharaohs. He eats those serpents. And when, when there was a spiritual storm brewing, God's authority calmed the storm. Remember Jesus? The right hand of the Father. Mark 4.39, he rose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was great calm. And he, he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they, they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? He's God. That's who it is. When you're riding with God, man, he's got the power. There's no lack of power. So God provides the details of Pharaoh's demise in verse 17 through 18. And God once again hardens Pharaoh's heart. For the final time, God once again tells him, this is it. There's no intercession from Moses this time. Aaron's not going to come out and talk to him. There's nothing coming out. We already saw this is the last time Moses told him a few chapters earlier. This is the last time you're going to see me and speak to me. It's over, pal. Oh, how sad it is when a sinner is hardened against God and gets the desire of his wicked and rebellious heart. God simply agrees with him and allows him to reap what he's sown. And he inherits hell and damnation. The just destruction of a sinner is just hours away from for Pharaoh. Man, God forbid that someone would come to church and hear a message like this and the spirit of God convict them of their need of a savior. But but they just harden their heart and they continue in their sin and they continue to say, no, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. Don't do that. God loves you. Jesus died for you. He wants you to have eternal life. Notice how God is still in the business of revealing his authority to the Egyptians. I love that in verse 18. Look down there at verse 18. It says, it says, And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten me honor upon Pharaoh, upon his chariots, and upon his horsemen. And God is still concerned about the Egyptians knowing that he is the one true God. If he wanted to, he could have just sent a nuclear blast through there. He could have bombed out Egypt with, with hailstones and, and, and uh, fire and brimstone, right? He could have done whatever he wanted, but he didn't. He, you know what he said? I'm going to use your leader as an example of how powerful I am, so maybe you'll understand that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the one true God. Because God does care about people. He cares about people that don't know him. People who won't submit to him. He is such a good God. God provides an escape for Israel through the sea. And the angel, verse 19 of God, which went before the camp of Israel, removed and went behind them. And the pillar and the cloud went from before their face and stood behind them. And it came to pass that the, <clears throat> that the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel, and it was a cloud. I'm sorry, it came and it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. And it was a cloud and darkness to them, and, but it gave light by night to these, so that one, <clears throat> that one came not near the other all the night. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon dry, uh, dry ground, and the waters were a wall unto them, 
on their right hand and on their left. I think we've all seen images of this in Hollywood or in whatever, and, and we've, we've got our imaginations going. But what's very clear here is that God protects and he leads his people with his presence. Last week we ended with that presence leading them, right? We see it's in front. And now he goes behind and he gets between them, his flock, and his new army, and, and the Egyptians. And he's like, you are not passing over me. They're in darkness. Egypt's in darkness. And his children are children of light. Man, he dries out that seabed, man. And it's dry, dry ground because the yoke is easy. And the burden is light. And he gives them an opportunity. And he says, go. And he stands there. And there's nothing the Egyptians can do. But they're so hardened in their heart, just like in the coming tribulation. They're going to go to battle anyway. They're going to pursue. As soon as they have opportunity, they're going to pursue the children of Israel into the sea. You know, God protects us, and he makes a way to escape, doesn't he? 1 Corinthians 10.13 tells us, There had no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. He will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. Isn't that awesome? Man, God gives us a way to escape. We're tempted to complain, to... To, to, to quit, to be full of fear, God says, oh, no, I got, I got what you need. I've given you a way to escape. It's the word of God. It's the church of God. And most importantly, it's the spirit of God, or as importantly, it's the spirit of God. So Jesus has made a way for us to escape uh, through his presence in us and his word in us and his church around us. I mean, we're covered. So God will always provide a trap for Pharaoh and his armies to pursue God's people. God's doing the same thing even today. As the world turns against Israel and what they call Zionists, which are Christians, mainly evangelicals, who support Israel's right to, to breathe God's air and dwell in their promised land. It's just setting people up for a fall, including a lot of the Israelis. Ultimately, through the course of the end times events, Satan's pursuits of God's people will lead him and the nations of this planet into battle so intense that the blood's going to run a, a bridle deep through the valley of Megiddo. And in that day, there will be no escaping the just wrath of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Revelations 14, 20. I'm not going to turn there, but you can read all that. Beloved, there's people today that are raging against God. They think they, think they can outsmart God. They can, they can do away with God. They can do away with Christianity. They can do away with God's people, kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, whichever kingdom you want. There is an active opposition because Satan has been about stopping the forward progress of God since Genesis. I got news for you. It isn't going to work. God's just roping the dope. His days are coming. He will be destroyed. And people will look at him and go, is this the man? Really? Point B, we experience salvation of the Lord because he fights for us. In verses 23 through 25, the Egyptians pursued and went in after them. Man, they're so stupid. They go in after them in the midst of the sea, even all of Pharaoh's horses and his chariots and his horsemen. And it came to pass in that morning, watch, that the Lord looked into the, the host of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and the cloud and, they, and, the, and troubled the host of the Egyptians and took off their chariot wheels that they drave them heavily so that the Egyptians said, let us flee from the face of Israel for the Lord fighteth for them against the Egyptians. And the Lord, you know what he did? He placed himself between the enemies of his people. And he did a great work, just like he did for us on the cross. When he interceded and atoned for our sins on the cross, he got between us and death, and he atoned for our sins so we could have eternal life. And now he gives us his spirit when we get saved. He cuts our soul away from our, our flesh in a, moments of time, in a moment of time at our salvation. And he does this so he can be our priest and our king. In Romans 8, 26, the Bible says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession uh, for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. That the, the, uh, and he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Romans eight thirty four says, Who is he that uh, condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again. Who is he that 
who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Hebrews 7.25 says, Wherefore, he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Man, God is our advocate. He is our propitiation. Point two, the Bible, or you don't have point two, but rejoicing, we should rejoice knowing that the Lord is on our side this morning. He looks through that pillar. I love that. He looks through the pillar. That tells me something about what he's doing. He's watching the children of Israel. He's watching them carry Joseph's bones up on out of out on out of the Red Sea, man. He's got his eye on his people. And then it says, oh, yeah. And he turns around and he looks and he says, oh, what's going on here? Okay, I got all those Egyptians gathered in the in the in the uh, the bed down here under the sea. Now I'm going to mess with them a little bit. I think God has a sense of humor, man. The wheels start popping off. Chariot wheels going everywhere. They're like, oh, no, what are we going to do? I mean, his focus was on his people, his flock, as they were going forward. But he turned. And, man, I tell you what, the Egyptians, they failed about as bad as Roscoe P. Coltrane. Man, if you ever watched the Dukes of Hazzard. I mean, he's he's in hot pursuit. And you know what's going to happen. Well, Roscoe's going to end up in a pond somewhere, right? In some, some creek bed somewhere. That's exactly what's happening. To, they're in hot pursuit. Next thing you know, they're off course. Man, their chariots are going here, going there, everywhere. Nothing's working out. You can imagine people tumbling over the front of their chariots. Horses getting, getting hung up in the harnesses. And, oh, I mean, I bet it was a mess. God just sitting there going, you mess with the bull, you're going to get the horns. I mean, I don't know what to tell you. You're in trouble, pal. So God's people, they're moving forward, and the, 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 the big bad army of Pharaoh, they're stuck. As the Lord troubles his army. And the Egyptians, they want to retreat, but now it's too late. They've gone too far in fighting against God. It's too late. It's too late. I mean, there was a pillar of darkness that said, don't go any further. I'm hindering what you're doing. Don't follow me into the Red Sea. Don't be a fool. But he knew they were too hardened for that. And as they descended into the sea and they continued to cross and they followed after and they were in hot pursuit as if they were going to defeat the children of Israel. And by the time they realized this was, was pointless as their, as their mechanisms start to fall apart right in front of them and there was no way to go forward, about the time they realized maybe we should retreat, it's too late. The cords of sin have wrapped themselves around and around and around and around and around and around and now they can't be broken. Oh yeah, there could have been a time, but it's over. Beloved, I'm telling you, sin will take you farther than you want to go and cost you more than you can pay. And the check is due. And none of those following Pharaoh could pay the tab. And the Bible is very clear that all of them get destroyed in the Red Sea. So lastly, we are completely delivered from our enemies. Hallelujah to you. Amen. Verse 25 to 31, the end of the text. And the Lord said unto Moses, stretch out thine hand over the sea, that the waters may come up against the Egyptians upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. And Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to his strength. When the morning appeared, the Egyptians uh, fled against it and the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea and the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the hosts of Pharaoh came into the sea after them and there remained not one, not so much as one of them but the children of Israel walked upon the dry land in the midst of the sea and the waters were a wall unto them for their right hand and on their left thus the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians and Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore and Israel saw the great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians, and the people feared the Lord. And here it goes. They believed the Lord and his servant Moses. You know what? He was, he was using this occasion to grow them. They grew in their faith. They grew in their faith in God. They grew in their faith in their leader that God had given them in Moses. So just as God opened the sea and closed it up again, the children of Israel were clear on the shore. And then God just swallowed up those Egyptians. What a great picture of the victory that we have in Christ. You know, Romans eight thirty seven says, Nay, in all things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Today, we're going to present new members, some of whom have trusted Christ recently and were baptized in obedience to the Lord's command. 
These have, have, have the, the presence of God, the person of God in them, and, and show the world that they have left Egypt and are enjoying the liberty that they have in Christ. You know what? It's so awesome that God has delivered us from the world, the flesh, and the devil. What once, uh, what once struck fear in the heart of the children of Israel is now dead, floating upon the seashore. As they came out on the other side of the sea, they looked back and they could see the enemy's bodies washing up on the shoreline. And this morning, let me ask you, do you believe the Lord destroys his enemies? Amen. The real question is, are you his enemy? Hmm. That's up to you. I hope most of you, I hope, I'd say I hope all of you, or I hope no one in here is his enemy. But you know what the last enemy to be destroyed is? You do. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Bible tells us the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Is death. Death pursues every one of us. But the truth is, the Bible truth is, that it's swallowed up in victory. God is good for his word. He provided a faithful shepherd in Moses. I tell you, we go to, if you're my age, you've been to a lot of funerals. And as you stand at the funeral site, especially of a Christian, you know that what you see is not the end. That's not where we end up. What, what's really true is what God says. Man, we have this hope. The promise is, is that when the Lord calls us away, those that are alive and remain, remaining to the coming of the Lord, we'll be caught up together with him, First Thessalonians chapter 4, and we will see those that have gone before because we're going to, go, we're going to get caught up with them. Beloved, there is no death for the Christian. It's been swallowed up in victory. A lot of the world doesn't know that yet, and it's our job to get out and tell them that. There's no temptation taking us, but such as is common to man. This morning, let's not allow the world, the flesh, and the devil to hinder our faith. Let's not be pressed down and full of fear, but be full of faith and go forth and trust God for his word and go where God tells us to go. Get the gospel where it needs to go this morning. Because at the end of the day, the children of Israel needed to learn this, to walk by faith not by sight. And as we grow and go, that's the key. Walk by faith. You may not know. I, I can tell you, we go taking it to the streets, and it's like, well, nobody did anything today. But then the next week, three or four people get saved. Four or five people come to church. It may have had nothing to do with actually where we went and where we handed stuff out. But I believe God blesses obedience. He just blesses obedience. And when he says go, you know what you do? You go. And you trust God for the results. That's called walking by faith, not by fear. Fear ye not. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, but don't stand too long. Because once you get your marching orders, you need to go. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Amen? And let's stand together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time in your word. Thank you for this great, wonderful chapter in Exodus chapter 14 where the children of Israel uh, see such victory.